Carrie. And I am Sandra. And we Ooh, are some crazy ass some screaming crazy. divas. Divas in the woods. Screaming divas. Divas, divas that want to go back to work. <laughs> That's us. And who are we interviewing today? Drum roll. Uh, this amazing, wonderful South African soprano named Golda Schultz. Uh, really super fun human being, very smart, really great ideas. I'm excited about this girl and her career. So here is Golda. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a really hokey question, but what's the greatest gift that we can give one another? Oh, I think the greatest gift you can ever give somebody is just kindness, kindness, kindness. And kindness implying that there's empathy involved in it. And because like being kind to someone, like I, like I say, I stress this all the time, nice is not the same as kind. Because mm -hmm. nice hides a lot. That does. But kindness requires you to engage with somebody and to really hear them, see them, and try to give them what they need. Or if you can't, help them find someone who can give them what they need. That's kindness. <laughs> Sandra, I feel like we say this all the time. I don't understand why I have to say this again, but what do I have to say? Please subscribe. <laughs> Click the button. Oh, and the bell. Um, we love all of you and we're sorry. We're so annoying. <laughs> I think right now I'm a little bit more annoying, but Maybe I'll stop if y'all subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> Golda Schultz, Golda Schultz, Golda Schultz. Golda Schultz, Golda Schultz. Golda! Golda! Screaming divas! Oh, hello. Hello. What's happening? I don't know what's happening. Okay. Now I know what's happening. Hello. Oh, hi. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was hilarious. There's a bit of a catastrophe. I opened the champagne bottle in the kitchen and it exploded. And then there was champagne everywhere. <laughs> Happy Sunday to you. Happy Sunday. No, I, I've been informed that I can clean it later oh. by my better half. <laughs> I have been given special dispensation to clean it later. <laughs> Your hair looks cute. Thank you. Thank it's you so shorter than I've seen it. Thank you. I've been working on it, but I thought if I'm meeting such divas, I must make sure that I'm presentable. So, Trey. Get the hair done. Okay, um, thank you so much for ruining your kitchen to get on the Screaming Divas. Yes, here. Thank you so much. Here. That deserves a drink right there, Golda, right? Yeah, it does. Uh -huh. Oh, and you got rosé. Mm. Mm. Rosé makes everything better. It sure does. Yeah. Just alcohol does. We're just going to stop with alcohol at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. That's the truth. That's you the know, truth. every time I see rosé or I drink rosé, I always think of Elsa Vandy Heber, my dear, dear friend. <laughs> love her so much, but she's a huge rosé drinker and it just makes oh, me I miss her. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I, I think she's, every... I think we miss everybody, right? I was that's just like... going to say we miss everybody. That's really the thing. I'm just that gal right there. So, Golda, this is Carrie. Hi. Hi, Carrie. 
Nice yeah, to meet you. This is Golda. <laughs> Golda's amazing. Golda's I, funny. Golda's oh, always you. smiling. Anytime <laughs> you feel down, call Golda. Golda and she oh, makes you feel better. Cool. Love. Thanks. Love, That's love. good news. That's good no. news. I did. I, it makes me think I should just look at myself in the mirror when I feel bad because most, but then I'm looking at myself in the mirror. Yeah. That might yeah. be such a good idea. Cause it doesn't help. Feel bad doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, as I'm going through that idea, I'm like, no, it doesn't really yeah. track because then you're help. having, you're usually, that's usually when I'm have, I have zits and I've got bad hair days and you're just like, yeah, I'm not my best. I'm not my base calling card right now. <laughs> I love that. It's like my coaching with Tony the other day, Tony Manoli, my coach. And, and it's like, you know, he's telling me things that I tell other people when I work with them. And, and Tony's like, Sandra, so you tell it to everyone else, but you don't do it yourself. Because like, yeah. he's rude like that. That's Tony Manoli, rude. <laughs> but you're just like, of course I tell everybody else this. Because like, hello, I'm not really listening to myself. Who does that? Thank you. Thank you. Who who's crazy like that? Like takes their own advice. What? I should, but you know, so that's just the same as looking in the mirror and going. So how you doing? What's going on? Where are what? you? I'm in Germany where I live, you know, just doing that thing. And uh, I'm actually, you caught me on a, on a good day because it's a day off from work because we're back at work. Surprise, surprise. Ooh. So yeah, cool. it's really crazy. Um, we're actually in the middle of, well, the final stages of rehearsal for Figaro and, uh, we open on Wednesday, the 23rd, I'm looking at my calendar and there's bold pink, 23rd of September, Figaro. Okay. Um, and it's really cool. It's, it's strange, very strange because, um, we're doing, you're doing masks, like as you're traveling to work. Right. Uh, but then when you're in the room, the minute you get like up to do work, you take your mask off. And right. then when you're not working, like if your scene's done, you got to put it back on and go sit and wait okay. until you're needed. And it's kind of crazy. Okay. It's like all these special kind of rules. Um, so we're doing uh, a special thing with our production where we're allowed to have physical contact. But for us to do that, we have to get tested regularly for COVID. How often? <laughs> um, they try to stagger it, but we're basically tested every week. So I got tested on Monday, then some people get tested on Wednesday, and that's kind of how they oh, can okay. track oh. our immunity and like whether or not we're catching it. Because like if we're all tracking as negative in our group, then that's pretty sweet. And then cool. because we're tracked as negative in our group, it means we can like hang out with each other. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> you, can do, you can do like all the staging from a show. You're just like, it's just so weird. You know, when you first met everybody, we were elbow bumping. You were like, hi, nice to meet you. Because we didn't know if any, like who's negative, who's not. And, um, and you're with your mask. And then you find out you're all negative. Congratulations. You can work. And you just like go straight into work mode. And you're just like in each other's faces. Like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Well, an opera like that, you really have to yeah. have that contact, you know? It's like in there all the time, like making that eye contact, breathing on people. Like, it's like there's a lot of, you notice, I really notice how much people breathe on you. It's just now. Like, I'm really aware. I'm like, you're breathing on me. Why are you doing that? Why Why you think that's cute? Why do you think that's cute? That's not cute. I always felt that way with, sorry, I always felt that way with makeup artists, you know, like, because sometimes they're like this close in your face, like putting your eye makeup on and you're like, um, are you sick? Like, you know, all that singer 
horrible mindset exactly. that goes through. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad to hear that you're back at work because there's part of me that's so over videos and editing and I'm like, I just want to sing. Lord, please. <laughs> Somebody let me sing something oh, live that's not, not recorded in my <laughs> room. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I'm so glad to hear all that because of, um, because when I saw Figaro, I was like, oh my gosh, like how, because Figaro is so together and so ensemble and so it's different from right. like Verdi and Puccini where you can kind of stand on the other side of the stage and just And like yell at each other, like pow. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> totally. You know, like who's going to sing louder tonight? But I, but the Mozart is so this fine fineness and it's so crazy when you're thinking about it and we're doing it all and it but then the minute you're done singing you're just like off to the side yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm excited to see what it's gonna be like it was i can i tell you the most ridiculous thing for me though was when i actually had to go for a costume fitting because i was like <gasps> the covid pounds they have arrived to judge me like I'm literally standing in like you know you know how it is you're standing in your skivvies and they've got you in costumes and they're like so are we gonna be spanking or not spanking and you're like we're gonna be double spanking that's what we're gonna be doing are you double spanked girl needs must needs must oh, <laughs> so know, like you're, you know how it is you're like apologizing to you're apologizing because I, I know my measurement said I was one thing and I apologize that now I am not that thing that my measurement said I was and <laughs> But the worst thing is, so I have like three different costumes. So the first I get fitted on, and it's horrendously too small. And I was like, oh, oh, God, what have I done? Oh, God, what am I, what am I done? You've had a great time during COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I had all the wine and all the food and all the bread. But yep. then I was like, but I've been running. I've been running in these streets. Okay. Come on, I've been running in these streets. And then, and then like we get to the next, and we do the corrections, and she's like, don't worry. I'll fix it. It's no problem. But we get to the next dress and it's a similar style and it somehow fits better. Like the measurements are not that far off. And literally the head, the head of the seat of the, of the whole like dress department, she's just like, oh no, she read the wrong measurements. The first lady, she read like your thigh measurement was like your, your, your like chest and waist. And I was like, yeah, that is problematic. Rude. That girl's fired. That girl's fired. Because <laughs> she just put me in crazy, yes. Oh, she just put me in another space. That's like, oh, like, you know that, that moment when you're standing in front of the, and you just like got the pit sweat and you're just like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Or when you, oh my God, I love you so much. Okay, but have any of you started crying in a fitting? Because. Oh, yeah, I've done that multiple times. That's like daily. Like that, ha that happens on the daily. Like, I, no, that one time they put me in a costume, which was old measurements where I was really, really heavy. It was a really horrible time for me. And when I saw the difference between what I was and the heavy, like I just started bawling because I remember that pain of that. And so sometimes I feel like costume departments don't understand for those of us that go up and down on, you know, it's like a life thing for me. It is constantly up and down that it's traumatic. Like, um, these are my, I try to make sure they have my right measurements so that it's not traumatic. But when exactly. they do something like that, you're just like, what? I've been running. Tell me what's happening. <laughs> that was exactly me. I was like, I have starved myself for a week waiting for this moment. What, what do you mean it didn't work? Yeah. Huh? 
You know what, Golda? It's funny because Carrie and I talk about this a lot. We're we're all exercising. You like you know you're running, but we're not doing the the daily walking yeah. as well. Movement. Yeah, and that movement makes a huge difference. It makes such a difference. Like literally, the just the moving on stage, like doing the staging, doing repeating, and then also like the mental the mental acuity necessary to like engage your singing muscles properly. There came a moment in one of our musical rehearsals where. Like, Myself and some of the other thing is we literally all like looked at each other at one stage and like, oh, our core just engaged again. Oh, we're back. I literally felt it just go like, oh, oh, there it is. Because it's been like six months of not really like engaging your core because you've had you haven't had to sustain over an orchestra and maintain that level of concentration to like yeah. keep a line going. And here is the conductor standing in front of you. Like, Glowing, and glowing. Gold is like, like, and just like, no, it's gonna be what's gonna be. Yeah. Or, or you're breathing so low, you're breathing from. Why well, I always call it. I don't know if we're gonna leave this on the video, but I always call it breathing from your twat because, like, you gotta <laughs> breathe so low, so low when your body isn't ready for it. <laughs> so I'm just horrified. So I'm just like, bye. <laughs> My teacher lovingly called gather from your gather, gather your energy, gather from your space. This is you go gathering from your space. I kind of like, like gather from your special place because that's really <laughs> what it is. There you go, girl. I think you found it. Gather from your special place. <laughs> so, okay, you haven't been singing much. I'm just going to move on because. <laughs> Cassandra, keep it in mind. Sorry. Good. We are swiping left on that one. Swiping yeah, that's left. exactly. <laughs> So let's talk about how you became okay. an opera singer. Really? I don't know how I became an opera singer. I sometimes don't think I'm an opera singer. I just think I'm like one of those weird people who just like sings pretty from time to time. And if that's, I get, is that an opera singer? Is that what you do? Is that what you call okay. what you do? Okay, well then let's talk about how. Define it. Define what, what an opera singer is to me. Like, well, okay. It's career. It's your a career. It's your a career. Passion. It's yes. your passion. It's your talent. Mm -hmm. It pays your bills. Yes, ma'am, it does. And you enjoy doing it. I do. So I'm an opera singer. And you touch other people's lives with it. I, well, I guess, yeah. It, I guess isn't like the fundamental thing of an opera singer is learning how to make those two muscles that Marilyn Horn calls like a piece of grizzle in your throat, like learning how to project without a microphone over an enormous orchestration yeah. into an opera house that can range from I don't know 500 800 to 4,000 seats I mean that's a that's, that's an a, opera singer to me that's, that's somebody that can thing to do that's a weird thing to be able to do I still right? sometimes don't understand like how it is that that functions in my voice because when you when because <laughs> if you talk to me I get hoarse like after like 20 minutes of talking because I'm just like meh, 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 meh. <laughs> Girl, we need to have a, a speaking a speaking session. Yes, uh, I feel like I need a speech therapist just to learn how to talk. I'm like, mm, um, no. So how did I become an opera singer? Okay, so I tell you the long story. Um, I didn't really want to be an opera singer. I only discovered opera like when I was 19, really, um, from listening to like Kiri Takanawa singing Por Jamor on Not City Field. I feel like I feel like Mozart's just been like my gateway drug. He was like my guy. He was my dealer. He gave me Porgia more and then it's just like, and now here's Don Giovanni. And now here's Clemente de Gito. And now here's Cousin. And now Idomineo. And here, blah, 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 check out my concert aureus. 
bah, 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 and you're just like, ah, 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 give me more. And uh, it's like crack. Mozart is like legit Mozart's crack for me. Okay. Like, oh, I can listen. I can listen to his symphonies. I can listen to his piano concertos. I can listen to like I can listen to his flute concerto. Damn, that's on point. But like his symphonies are also just so full of fun and like also so there's so many layers so many nuances and I think what I was really struck by so after listening to Kiri Takanoa and then like moving my way through all of her albums and and her like and I'm talking about albums guys like LPs because cool. like this was before What's that? <laughs> and says large disc looks like a laser disc but not <laughs> predates the laser disc but in the same size realm um, so we went, like, I went through all of her stuff, right? And then uh, one day my teacher says to me, oh, like, check out uh, Bel Canto. And I was like, Bel what now? Bel Wanto? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so then she's like, yeah, it's this composer. His name's Bellini. Check out his stuff. And I was like, okay. So I'm looking for Bel Canto. And then, like, the most famous Bel Canto opera, Norma. Oh, I wonder if you, if any of you guys know this one. Um, <laughs> and then literally start like going, and I'm one, I was one of those like idiot neophytes to opera that I was just like, just like get me to the part that I might know where something sounds pretty. So when it starts with like the whole chorus, I'm like, no, it's skip, 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 skip. <laughs> like the truth of me is coming out now. I love it. And then I got to track seven. I got to hear Motilda. I got to hear something. It was like, I got to track seven. And I sort of got to track seven. And then the flute starts playing, you know, and like you said, and I'm sitting with my, like a little piano score. And I'm just like, oh, 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 but this is the same tune that like the lady sings. Oh, the norm. Okay. So I'll sit, I'll listen to it. And the flute starts doing its thing. And then like, blah, 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 blah. Gloriousness. In my ears comes Maria Callas doing her thing yeah like, and like and there was something so profound and I still and like I hear her in my head doing this yeah there was this delicacy this absolute fine finesse but in the in the center of it of her sound was this like horrible premonition that her life was going to just turn to shit at the end of the day. But she was holding it together. And I knew that without understanding a single word of what she was saying, it was in it. This, this, this absolute demand from herself to keep it together. Just like, boom. Keep, you, and I, you know, yeah. I think we've all had those moments where you're like, you're in a crowd of people and people are requiring you to be, you know, eloquent together, blah, blah, blah. But your life is falling apart back, yes. like backstage because it's you stepping on stage. And it was that moment where I understood that like, she wasn't just singing Norma's life. She was singing her own life. And she was filling every moment of that aria with all of her pain, all of her hope, all of her joy to just sing a fine old line and it was so beautiful and I remember just tears prickling my eyes and just that. knowing that whoever this woman was all I wanted to do was just sit with her and hold her hand and give her support 
and that whatever like whatever else if that was the only thing I could do for her then that was that's that's what I wanted to do and that profoundly moved me because there everything that I'd listened to all the beauty of like listening to Kirita Kanoa started to take on new meaning and every other singer that I started listening to I started listening to differently because it stopped because before like I listened to Kiri Takanoa singing Mozart because it was just so beautiful because Mozart just demands beauty from you but but then because I listened to Maria Callas I started listening to other singers again and I started hearing the layers that were there that they just weren't bringing out as much as she did that sometimes and it's like that's not to say that these people that like that you look up to like that are so amazing in their job. It's not that you don't look up to them anymore. It's just that you realize that there's so much, so much risk involved with yeah. being a true artist that sometimes some could, some composers demand you risking it, and some composers demand you really pulling it together and not mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. But then if you're a really good artist you can consistently risk and still give beauty at the same time. And I was just like, damn you, Maria Callas, you ruined music for everyone forever. You bitch. Oh my God, that's, that's like the hashtag of the day. <laughs> you bitch. Yep. I'm sorry, you're gonna have to edit that out. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's true. So, that's so true. When you became an opera singer. You're like, and that was like, that, no, that was when I decided I wanted to try. I, that, was the t- that was the moment where I said, I'm going to try to do this. I will probably fail every other, every other day of my life. But if I can do this once, oh, damn, that high will be so good. Just to like get yeah. a, like a tingle of it, right? right. And just be like, crack. And like, it's, it's crack. crack. And then you realize like, it's not about searching for accolades because like then, you know, then I started reading all the stuff about her life and I just realized the more I read about her, the more it just seemed like people thought that she was like aiming for fame because she was always hanging around all these extremely famous people. Like she was hanging out with Audrey. She was hanging out with, you know, the, with, with our NASA. She was, she met Jackie. Damn you, Jackie, you stole her name. It's the search for perfection. But it's, that's the thing. She was searching for that moment of perfection. And sometimes she hit it so beautifully. And I am so grateful that record record labels went for it and recorded live performance the way that they did. Right. Damn the expense because there's something that cannot be translated in a studio recording that is in, that is in the live because there is something like for me, the high that I get, even if I don't achieve the perfection, there's a high that comes from being on a stage in, with like people in the dark. It's like sitting around a campfire telling stories. Right. And it's that community that's the, and that energy. Like I remember listening to like old Leontine Price. Ooh, I know. Singing Trovatore. <laughs> I know. At that's, Salzburg. I so much. I, it, it, that thing, that round thing. I wore it out and I had to buy a new one. Damn, like literally just like listening to her, like sing that first aria and you hear the eruption of the audience. But it's that eruption coming from the stillness of awe at the end of her, like just like she's done that whole cantabile, la la la. And you're just like, that deserves applause. But she's held that audience so in the palm of her hand. She's like, I'm not letting go of your heart. It's like Indiana Jones with like, shabamakti, tum tum. (laughs) 
dum 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 dum. Like he's just like hold, he's just like holding on to your heart. Like I'm not letting go. I refuse. You will listen to everything I have to say. And she's just like grabbing you in the center. I was like ah. And then like she does the color turn and she's like whooping that stuff. And then like she like and then in that moment she like shoves your heart back into your chest and you hear this like literal gasp from the audience. And then her yeah. oh patria mia in her met farewell. Anytime I really want a good cry, I put that on. Damn. And I watch her like her just go like mm. Mm. and you know she's like going literally and she's like and this and these artists and that's what I find so special about live recordings and I'm still like I'm dying for record labels to just like get back into it and just like suck it up because yes. I promise you there is even if I buy all the albums I will I will be that person who buys all the albums like just like just give it to me I want that I want it and so that was the thing that was like how I guess that was the beginnings of becoming an opera singer I was listening to all these beautiful beautiful spirits put like everything into a moment and risk, risk sounding trashy, risk sounding yeah. like, risk sounding absolutely not what they should be sounding like, but knowing that at the end of the day, they were doing it for this really strong musical dramatic reason that was coinciding with what a composer had in their head, what a librettist had in their head when they came up with the story. Like listening to like Montserrat Caballé do that record, do that live performance of Turandot where she's doing Blue. Oh, you know, like I'm like, I love Birgit Nielsen, but like that show was not, that was not Birgit's show. That was Montserrat. She does that Signora Esposa. It's a minute and a half of singing of her pure perfection, pleading, desperate, and then this beautiful like floating ethereal nobody understands how it like how that's possible she whips that stuff out and then the applause is two minutes long the applause <laughs> is its own track on the cd do you think though that part i mean i feel like we don't live in that world anymore we don't live in a world where there's time to create that i feel like we don't live um i don't know i part i don't know if i'm gonna leave this on video ladies but there's part of me that really over the last probably 10 years has been a little, um, I don't know what the right word is, but I don't feel like I find that anymore, that we're moving so fast that everything started to be turning into, everything has to be HD, everything has to be, I feel like we lost what was really important and what you're talking about, that those moments are so far and few between in this business, because I'm actually one of those weirdo singers that actually loves to go to the theater and listen to singers because I'm searching for those moments. I want those moments. And I, and as I, the last 10 years, I felt like they were far and few between because what I was seeing on stage were voices that I couldn't hear voices that all of a sudden, like everybody was singing everything. There was no re rhyme or reason to why, you know, there was a trajectory um, path for my own career with what repertoire I was singing so I could sing for 50 years. That's not a part of our business anymore. Um, it's all about like flash and social media and looks and I just, I don't know where I'm going with all this. The mission statement has changed. The mission statement's changed and so I want that back, Golda. I want that. I want the best singer on stage, no matter what package they come in, 
Uh, no matter what color they are, no matter what size they are, I want that artist on stage. And I want those directors and those conductors that actually want to have make time to make something so beautiful and so stunning that people are running to the theater to fill the houses. Because in my mind, when you're not filling those houses, it's it, there's a reason. There's a reason the why magic not. Is gone. I really feel like the magic has been lost because I think we get caught up now in not, not taking the time. Mm. And I think it's become a business and not an emotional outlet. I think, I think you're, definitely, you're definitely saying the right stuff. It's, it's tough to find the balance because like what we also have to recognize is there's different models that have come into play here. There's the mod, there's like, so, and there's different parts of the industry that are somehow coinciding, but without recognizing that at the core of it, there's art that needs to be maintained and artistry that needs to be maintained. And what we've got, what, what I feel we've trapped ourselves into in our creative industry, we've trapped ourselves into an output methodology and for output, we're talking consumption. Right. And instead of, and instead of using actual, like the kernel of what it is to be an artist and building that so that even if output is minimal, consumption will still remain high because the quality of the product is great. Right. So that's where, and the problem is, is that because people are like, oh, well, the trajectories have changed. Cause like, I think trajectory still is talked about at school level, at conservatory level, mm -hmm. but the way trajectory is discussed is fundamentally different. Trajectory is no longer talked about in terms of, the roles you should be studying to make sure that your the, the vo your vocal health is maintained. Um, Trajectory is not being talked of in terms of um, how you need to be maintaining your physical health to be able to do the roles as you go on and thinking about how voices change as you get older. Trajectory is being talked about in terms of you need to be a specific age to get into an opera studio. You then need to be in a specific age to get an agent. And then it's all about, it's even the way we talk about our trajectory, it's about the get. So for you to be considered a thriving artist, I get asked this question a lot, like, do you consider yourself to be a successful artist? You know, and then people like cite examples, like, because you sing here and you sing here. And I was like, that was never part of my trajectory. Part of my trajectory wasn't, I'm going to sing at the Met, I'm going to sing at the Royal Opera, I'm going to sing here, and I'm going to sing here, and here. And if I don't achieve these things, I will not be successful. My trajectory is very simple. I'm going to sing the repertoire that is appropriate. I'm going to do it at a, at a high level of expectation of myself mm -hmm. and the company that I keep. I'm also going, like, I consider myself successful because I can do this and pay my bills and I can put a roof over my head yeah. and I can be a happy, comfortable person. That is my, that is my, that is my frame of reference for what can constitute me as a successful, successful human being, first and foremost. Yeah. But that's the way. And I remember my senior teacher talking to me in terms of that kind of trajectory, not in terms of like, yes, I remember when I got to America at my school there, Juilliard, and like being in opera seminar and literally I was at the time 27 years old and being told if you're a soprano and you don't have an agent by the time you're 30, you will not have a career. Welcome to America. <laughs> and I was just like, what is like, how is that even something to be telling young minds? But that's, it's causing us, it's causing all these young singers, or it did cause, or I mean, right now it's on pause, but it's causing them all these issues. Then, oh, am I good enough? Do I deserve yeah. this career? Oh, well, I didn't hit that milestone. So, so therefore I'm off the track now. And now it's done skis for me. And right. then, and then people, and then also, you know, 
people talking about their life stories and like, and this is also a part of like the conversation that you also have to be very careful with social media. Cause you were talking about that as well as being yeah. a part of it where people are putting their life stories online, but it's not real life. Let's be frank. Cause I don't see these people putting online how they're struggling in the practice room. Like I, like I struggle in the practice room and like phrases are not working. I don't see people putting up online the, the lonely aspects of traveling on the road where right. your life with your partner, if you're not as fortunate as Sandra is to travel with the part, to travel with your partner, but your partner's like way over on the other side of the world. And yeah. you're like, the six hour time difference and you both have jobs like the man like having those conversations where you're like yeah my base my my main relationship is with my computer because this is the only way I can actually talk to people the people that are truly important in my life or my cell phone right like, nobody talks about how the fact that like most most rehearsal spaces singers are constantly asking is there somewhere I can charge my phone because I'm like <laughs> for my partner oh, wow <laughs> no talking about wi-fi what's the wi-fi oh, password, the wifi the wifi password? password? <laughs> <laughs> no but the mental issues too nobody talks about that right now no depression and, and because not being able to see you and go like Golda! not being able to do that i remember being told when I wanted, when I wanted to go to Juilliard and I was thinking of going like, and I, and I'd like worked out my trajectory from South Africa and I'd get, I'd come up with like a plan and um, a former teacher, God bless God rest his soul. He passed away last year in South Africa. Um, he had studied at Juilliard and he had, he was a really great tenor, Sidwell Hartman. He was one of the best South African tenors. He had gone from Juilliard and then he'd got an agent and he went boom into Europe, went through the French system within all the small French houses, singing all the beautiful like French repertoire and then moving into the Don Jose's, moving into the Verdi's and then he was like out in like medium houses in Germany. Not all the best houses in all of Europe, but he was singing in like places and he was earning that money. Yeah. And like he was living that dream that we all thought like, that's a dream. And I said, to him, like, why didn't you keep going? And he said, because nobody tells you that when all of that's happening, as great as that applause is at the end of the night, you go home to a hotel room alone. And if you're a black man, and if you were working in the 1970s, chances were you were staying in some racist town where people really didn't want you. And when people came to, came to the door, to the stage door to see all their favorite singers and congratulate them, you were ignored. <laughs> even though they had applauded you and lauded you and cheered for you and you go home and, and you go to your hotel room and you go cry in the shower to wash away all that pain. Nobody tells you that. Nope. And I remember that conversation struck me like at the core of myself yeah. because it, it always, it, that, that conversation consistently comes up whenever I'm like trying to like, think like, is this worth it to continue? Because there are days when I do miss my family. I miss my family in South Africa. There are days, I was saying this to somebody, someone else, I said, there are days when I just want to make sense. Yeah. I don't want to have to explain myself. I just want to make sense to the people that look at me. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to explain anything about myself. Whereas in Europe, as wonderful as it is to live in Germany and as great as it is for my career, you still have to explain yourself a lot of the time. I still have to explain to people why my name is Golda and why my name, my last name is Schultz because like, it's so odd. God forbid people, God forbid you have a name. That's like, Your name is cool. 
I, I read, I read that you wanted to change it, but I'm really glad your mom, you know, yeah. you, your mom kind of fought you on that. <laughs> my mom is, my mom's very conniving. I love it. <laughs> she's very, she's very smart. She's a smart lady, but like they, all those things, you, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into this business. And like, wow. when I have spoken to young singers, I, I, I've always tell people, I always tell young singers in any masterclass situation, I, I tell them, listen, I'm not going to try and teach you that. I'm probably never going to turn you into a better singer, but I am going to try and turn you into a cleverer, a smarter person. Mm. So I can promise you one thing during our time together. And I say this every time. I, say, I promise you one thing during our time together. I will not lie to you. I will not sugarcoat. Mm. You ask me anything, I will tell you the truth. Yeah. Good. And I remember one girl asking a question. She's like, She's asking about like all the travel and I told her it's hard on the body. It's very exhausting. You, you homesick a lot of the time. And I said, this is how, and I said, and I'm not the only one who feels this. So don't think that I'm just speaking from my own experience. I have collated information from many colleagues <laughs> and little, little miss smart ass just went, well, it'll be different for me when I do it. And I was like, and I remember I looked at her and I just went, you know what? I hope you do. I hope it is different for you. And if you figure out a way to do it better than the rest of us, I can promise you, we will all be coming to you and asking you how to do it. Yeah. But understand that you are not the first in this business and you probably won't be the last in this business. No. So, good for you. So just have like, just have that frame of reference. But yeah. it was just, it, it was just so interesting. It's just like, this whole, this whole notion of trajectory. I'm constantly, I'm like the same as you, Carrie, I'm constantly thinking about it because I want, I want young singers to have a realistic expectation of what this business is. Yeah. Because like where we're at in our careers, like, and I'm like, you know, I consider myself a junior to you guys, in like your careers, but like we're working, we're earning our money, our living, you know, COVID notwithstanding. Yeah. We're earning our living off these two little vocal cords. And the level that we're working at is more, is more present in everybody's minds because we work at the right places to work. But there's other levels of this industry that people don't necessarily talk about. And so kids, are being, kids in conservatory are being given this false sense of what it is to have success in this career. They think it's that you have to be singing at La Scala. You have to be singing at Vienna. You have to be singing at Tamir. You have to be singing in Dallas. You have to be like on demand for like every recital hall. You have to, have to, have to. And I'm just like, no, you have to nothing. As my, my partner always says, there is no must. There is only want to. You yeah. must nothing. You must only want to. And everybody has a different, a different story to tell. Carrie's story is different than my story is different than your story. Absolutely. How we got to where we are now. Exactly. But I want to know, I want to talk about <laughs> your Met stage audition. That was <laughs> Why do you have to embarrass me like that, Sandra? No, but listen, this, it was a huge <laughs> turning point in your life. That's why. Just, you just attitude changed after that gold Schultz. Yeah, because you were not. See, Carrie, what you have to understand about Sandra, I'm sure you know this from years of being friends with her. She loves it when she's right. No. <sighs> uh, all I know, watching this interview happen, is that because you guys know each other and she knows your shit, that she really knows my shit. So I never want to be interviewed by Sandra Lear. Sandra, well, sorry, Sandra Lear, Sandra Robinowski, whatever. Miss Sandra. I don't, Sandra. I don't want to be interviewed by her because like, I'm, no. like, I'm like, I'm going to leave you two at it. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
It's a story that has to be told because no, I hear you. No, no, no. I told you. All these young singers are going to go through that. Absolutely, and I. There's a part of me that wishes I'd known you in 2000 and when 2010 when I really like excuse my French shit the bed in an audition, um, but that's like that's a caveat to the story. No. But like no, no, no. I really wish I'd known you that day. But in any case, so the the day finally comes you get the you get the holy call of saying like would you like to have an audition at the metropolitan opera and i was just like yes please i would well, not supposed to right that's on the shit of could have that's the shit of could have right. like i'm supposed to do that i'm supposed to say yes right no way okay so i'll say yes and um so i went it was a chilly december day like the view of the air was fresh with up with optimism and opportunity and uh they were actually in the middle of rehearsing, uh, what's his name? What's that, what's that opera? Bizet. That one that nobody Carmen. actually really likes. Samson and Delilah. Carmen. No. That's the one. Carrie, Carrie wins. Carrie wins a point. <laughs> she knows her opera. And so, and so there they were, you know, and so Diana Damra was like there rehearsing. And, but like, so, but the auditions are happening on stage. And I get told, um, you can go to the dressing rooms and go warm up and they put me in this dress in this one dressing room and uh, it turns out that it also happens to be where she's getting her costume fitted and so they'd been on they'd been like walking around the theater doing some i can't even remember and then i was busy warming up and she like walked into the room and she's like i need to change and i was like oh my god i'm so sorry and and i was supposed to be getting ready for my audition and that that just kind of threw me because there was like diana Dummer. and then it kind of dawned on me where i was singing my audition because until then, you kind of just go, be a professional, warm up, do your thing, blah, blah, blah. In any case, it starts to really dawn on me. And my pianist hasn't arrived yet. And I'm starting to feel the anxiety that I remember feeling when I did this big audition at London at the JC, for the JC Parker. I start to feel like this uncontrollable urge to just like spew my guts and just die in a corner of like, you know, some horrible communicable disease. Like I was like Ebola. I would rather have had Ebola in that moment than be but where I was. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I was literally like, I need to, I needed to combat. And so, but I just knew I did not have the tools to I was not equipped mentally to do it. And so I tried texting my agent. She doesn't reply. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, I'm alone. I am alone in the world. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. And, and literally the, the soundtrack that goes through my head is, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done, Goldish Schultz. Who do you think you are? Why would you ever have agreed to this? You are a fool and you are about to make a fool of yourself in front of the most important people in basically American opera right now. Like, this what is your, this is not the whole, like, this the mantra. inside this telling your brain the this right. Oh, this isn't even the inside. This, this is just my brain. This is just how my brain was functioning, like, that day. That day. And then, like, somehow, Sandra sends me this beautiful text saying, toy, 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 because I told her about the audition happening. She was like, toy, 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 you're going to be so great. And I just said, I think I want to cancel my audition. Like, what did yeah, I say to you? Legit. So, next thing she goes, is this number where is this a number that I can call you on? And I was like, yeah. Uh -huh. 
but I, but I've got to go for my, I've got to do, I've got to figure out what I'm going to say because I need to like handle the foundation. And she like literally dings Sandra Rabinowski calling you on the phone. It's like a dang superhero. And, like, ding, ding. and so I'm just like, Sandra. Super Sandra to the rescue. And like, I literally like picked up the phone. I'm like, hello. And she's just like, Golda, are you, are you somewhere where you can just like sit? Cause we need to talk. And she's like, tell me what you're thinking. And I was like, I'm going to be so bad. I don't think this is, this is not the right thing for me to do. I just think like I should cancel and tell them that I'm really sick. And then like, maybe we can like reschedule when I'm ready. And Sandra was just like, you're not like, this is your moment. This is it. See? This is your moment. You, your brain is trying to tell you that it's not, but this is the moment. They want you. They want to hear you. This is your time. And you're you not going are to- enough. You are you absolutely are enough. Because I was like, I'm not good enough to be here. This is so stupid. Like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever thought I could do. Like, what is this? And she was like, no, you belong on that stage. This is your time. And then she like literally went through like a checklist of things to do. She was like, you're going to go finish your vocal warm up. And then you're going to go onto that stage and you are going to stand in that space and you are going to take it in. And you are going to tell that space that it is yours you are about to own it and she's like and and that's what you do and so i was like okay okay and you're gonna call me straight out and i was like okay okay and literally i remember i finished my warm-ups and i literally just did the steps i was like oh i'm gonna finish my warm-ups okay i'm gonna do my warm-ups finish my warm-ups and my pianist still hadn't arrived and then and i was the first one on the on the on the list to sing that day I was like oh god and then and so like I go onto the and like I walk to the stage and I'm like standing there and it's the set it's that that evening set is already up and it was Rigoletto and I'm like and it's the casino scene and I'm just like standing there on the side and looking at it and I hear the piano tune is tuning this really crappy upright piano I'm like bang 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 and he's really tuning the piano and um and I'm just like standing there, I was like, is it okay for you? And I asked him, is it okay? Is, is it safe for me to just like, you know, I just need to take in the space a little bit just so I can familiarize myself with the room. And he's like, oh, it's absolutely fine. And he said, I'm actually due to be finishing tuning. My tuning is only supposed to go, that is supposed to go for another 10 minutes, but I mean, I'm basically done. So if you want, you can just take the rest of my time and you can sing. And I was like, I'm so sorry about And he was like, it's my time. I can give it to you if I want. And I'm done. So if you want these 10 minutes, they're yours. Just go for it. Sing. And I remember I walked on that stage and I looked at all of these people. And I was like, and I remember Sandra also telling me, she's like, it'll be like singing in your living room. You'll love it. <laughs> and I was just like, this, and I was literally like, this woman is insane. She also seems to forget that she has a gargantuan voice. <laughs> <laughs> that literally would break like any other normal theater but this is just like i'm singing in my living room <laughs> and i'm just like i oh, know i'm with you on that <laughs> and i was like, like you overcame it all golden no you- but like i literally did i went and i sang on that stage and i started singing my aria like i started singing through my my pack my my, my audition pack and my pianist just like walked in quietly and he's like while i'd been like sitting i'd stood there closing my eyes and said my prayers and I was like, I remember standing there with my eyes closed and I was praying and I said a couple of Our Fathers and a few Hail Marys. And then I started singing like one of my favorite arias. 
And my pianist had quietly just walked on stage and he'd like opened his book and he just started playing. And I had no, I didn't know that he'd started playing with me. And while that was all happening, one of the, one of the, the big administrators from the Met like walked in and was just standing on the stage listening to me. And then like, I finished my aria and he was like, that was really nice. Like, oh, this feels like it's going to be a lovely little concert for us. And I was like, oh, hello. And then I realized, and he comes up to me, he's like, hi, my name's Peter. And I was like, Oh, hi, hi, <laughs> so nice, to, so nice to have, to have you here. I'm so glad you can make it. Please have a seat in the auditorium. <laughs> and that was a turning point in, I think, Golda, in yeah. your, your career, in your life, because you found that confidence. And this is why I wanted you to tell that story, because all these young artists out there are struggling with this. You found that confidence inside yourself to face that fear full on. Yeah. I think that's the thing is facing the fear is really important. That's what this job is. It's really, I remember there was like a time in my, at the beginning of my studies where I, I had really, really bad stage fright to the point that I fainted. Like I couldn't cope with stage fright at all. I would like sing, go white in the face and then like, like a corpse, just like fainting goat. And <laughs> One of the main things that also happened happened with that was having to confront it weekly and having to find a way to manage it. And I remember, you know, one of my lecturers at the time saying, when I told him, I really cannot do this anymore. Like I, I'm physically ill from this experience. And he said, well, there's only really two ways out of this. Like if you're physically ill from this experience, well, you're either going to plop down dead and I'm going to be sued because I did a horrible thing, secondary, you know, secondary manslaughter, or you're going to find a way to cope because something in your body will tell you that your life is not in danger because your life is not in danger. And that was the thing. It was that, that mechanism because the Met and Scala and the Royal, the Royal Opera House and um, where else, you know, like so many other places, like so, so, so many big places, like, you know, Staatsopern, Unter den Linden, all these places have such iconic people associated with them that they, be, they gain this, this other level of mystique and mysterious power because they are hallowed ground. Mm -hmm. And so you as a normal, normal human being, you don't feel worthy of being there because so many greats have stood there and have owned that space so fully and have turned, turned those spaces into temples of art. But what you kind of have to consist, constantly remind yourself is that it is not the space that makes the art. It's the art that makes the space. Yep. That's you the thing. It. You are worthy of standing <clears throat> on that stage. Everyone is worthy of standing on that stage and making Absolutely. art. No matter Absolutely. what level it's at. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. Like you can be great no matter where you are. Like you can be a truly great artist and be singing in like, castle and you can be considered a great artist you can be a great artist and be singing in like the tip of on the tip of Af the african continent and you can still be a great artist it's not these places that make great artists no. it's these great artists that make these places so special and i think that was kind of the turning point for me because like knowing that like someone like you respects my talent and sees my talent for what it truly is a reflection of who i am as a person and reminding me that that's worthy of being seen by other people and acknowledged and that my life story my life experiences are valid and deserves a place to play out yeah 
that meant so much. And the contracts that came after that, gold. <laughs> So. I'm glad for the content. I'm glad for the work. I'm always glad for the work. Pays for the bubbly. There you go. Um, how do you deal with, let me ask you this because I know you've talked about fear and I think what, what I read was the goat feigning, which made me laugh when you use that terminology for us. <laughs> but how do you deal with, so once you've accomplished that, I think singers also don't talk about where we do feel that we are enough, we are in a rehearsal room, we finally get to the stage, whatever it is, and there's somebody, a part of the cast, whether it's a conductor, whether it's the director, whether it's another colleague that is constantly trying to undermine you, is cruel, is a tyrant, is whatever it is. How have you been able to, Sandra, we, all, we haven't talked about this on this show, but I think it's an important thing, especially for young singers coming up, there are times when I've triumphed over that and there's times mm -hmm. where I really, it's gotten to me um, so much oh, yeah. it's affected me on stage too. So um, I was wondering if you would want to talk about that because that's another hurdle I think that, oh well, yeah, right, hurdle's the right word, but it's another part of the process, another part of the job. Because yeah. like what it is, you know, like it's so great what we do, but at the same time, there's also this other aspect of hierarchy the hierarchy that's working in a room. Like, I think all of us are constantly always talking about like, oh my gosh, just playing around in a rehearsal and having fun with my friends. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's always, there are always these like two people in the room that really like aren't your friends and they're the little bossy boots that tell you what to do. And if they don't like it, they're like, no, do it like this. Don't, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to collaborate with people in a hierarchical sense is really tough and it's it's really about managing people managing people and managing managing your expectations of people mm -hmm. i have found that it really doesn't cost a lot to be kind mm -hmm. it costs nothing to be kind and i kind of stress that when i'm working with people i talk about kindness a lot when i'm working with people um I'll, and i re and when what i have found is that kindness is very different from being nice yeah. Because nice is, nice is so, hides so many evils. <laughs> I know a hundred thousand people who are nice, but I don't know that many people who are kind. Because kindness requires you to have empathy with someone else's position and to see the other side right. and to see the impact of your actions and act with respect in that regard. Mm -hmm. So I... I've worked with some people who are totally nice, but are not kind. And they've used their niceness as a weapon to kind of manipulate people to get what they want. Yeah. And I've, tr I've, I have tried to, I tried to speak up at every time. And sometimes I succeed in getting people to be accountable for their actions. But like we said, sometimes you're dealing with a director who's just like, doesn't want to hear it. And then you kind of, I find that being, I find that my star sign really comes into effect there because I'm a cancer. So I retreat. And I, I will only give you so much. And I'm very strong about the boundaries that I have about myself, around myself, socially and in a work situation. Okay. And I've taken, I've taken to that point of acknowledging the fact that there are certain boundaries that should not be crossed. Like speaking to me with, with absolute disrespect, I will respectfully say, you don't need to say it to me like that. I'm not an idiot. If I, if I find something that you say confusing, I would, I will ask you to explain it again and say, I didn't quite understand what you meant, but I will also contextualize and say, is this what you meant? And if it's not, feel free to continue to explain. But if I tell you, I get it, you can trust me that I've got it. Um, and also telling people like, 
I need you to respect that I know my instrument. And if I tell you that something, something may sound vocally lovely to you, but it's hurting me internally to do it, I need you to trust that, that we shouldn't do it and not call me a little diva. I've also, I've also like spoken recently to an intendant who's a very lovely man. And I told, and I started in because, but he kept on, we were out to dinner with a bunch of colleagues. He kept on making jokes about hysterical sopranos. And I left, and it really was irking me. And I finally just like got to the point where I was like, I actually like, are you like trying to call me out as a partner? Have I done something hysterical? Because like there was a moment during one of the rehearsals that we'd had where he was in on the rehearsal. It was a recording, a live recording of the Mozart Requiem where the, one of the sound, sound engineers kept saying I was out of tune. And I finally flipped my lid and I was like, I don't sing out of tune if I can help it. So you're gonna have to show me exactly where you think I went out of tune. And they made me listen to it and I was like, what you're listening to is the onset of the note. I came from the bottom of the note instead of the top of the note. I may have lingered too long on the bottom of the, on the, on the, bottom on the onset, but there's like five other recordings where I did it from the top and it didn't linger as much. So use one of them. But don't ever tell me I'm out of tune because I will cut you. <laughs> I love so, it. My gold. And so, like, and so the intendant like took us out to dinner and he started making all these little like ha ha hysterical sopranos oh the diva da, 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 da. and then he'd be like oh but you know I don't mean you and I was just like if you have to qualify that you don't mean me now I'm starting to worry that you're actually talking about me so I like you know my, my partner was just like well say something like if you have problems with it say something he's very Italian that way he's like just say something and I'm just like mm, it's not <laughs> like and I was like let me work through it on my own and then I was like no I don't think anything I did was disrespectful diva-ish hysterical at all I was extremely professional yes I did threaten to cut someone but that came after like a very long altercation and clearly you know that I'm not gonna cut you I'm really not violent nothing in my history would suggest that I'm violent I mean, like I have no police record of violence mm -hmm that you know of. Um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I know, meet your so then, parents. <laughs> so then I went, so then I finally like, I finally woke up the courage to do, to have this conversation because I, because like what, what got me, what struck me the most is that like, when people make those kinds of jokes about females in this business, it makes it more difficult for us to speak up when things yes. are actually going wrong for us. Yes. Like you call me hysterical. It means that if like one of my male colleagues is being untoward to me, I can't tell you because you'll call me the over-emotional one. Right. If the conductor is being totally demanding of me, but like not as much of my colleagues, you'll say that I'm just being difficult. Yeah. So there's no way in, there is no situation in this industry where I feel actually safe anymore yeah. because there's nobody supporting me. And it's all because these kinds of, and, I, and these kinds of microaggressions that readers joke, but subtly tell us, shut up. Yeah. just do your job and shut up yeah. and so I finally I sent him an email I said if it would be possible I'd really love to have a conversation with you would you be willing and I did and I said it's just a, and I said it's just a small thing <laughs> you know as women tend to do it's not big it's mm -hmm. major mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not trying to be hysterical or anything it's just right. you know, like a conversation whereas a male colleague would have been like you know this was really uncalled for I didn't like this I didn't like the way you said that to me majority of my male colleagues say those kinds of things and I was like anyways so I go, um, I, I get my, I get my courage together and like, he comes to the dressing room and we're not, and he's like, that was such an amazing concert. Thank you so much. Oh, it's always so great to like work with you. You're so amazing, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm so glad that you said that you've actually enjoyed working with me because I actually was worried that you haven't enjoyed working with me. And so I started to explain this whole situation to him 
and like watching his needles tick and I was just like I remember my throat getting tight because I was like you could see the gears starting to do, and I was like oh my god he's about to tell me that I'm being so stupid oh god I can feel it I can feel it coming the defensiveness and all that. and he's just like I'm so sorry I had no idea that that's what that did to people and he's like do most women feel like this and I said yeah <laughs> and he just he looked at me and he said you're the first woman that's actually made me aware of that and I'm really sorry if I've made anybody else feel like they can't talk to me wow and I'm really sorry that you have and, and he said and I'm really sorry that you all have to deal with that because that's not fair and I just went <gasps> my jaw hit the floor <laughs> my no, jaw no, legitimately no. hit the floor I was like wait, this worked? <laughs> <laughs> you spoke for all of us and all of us women in, in our business. So yeah. Because like, I know, because I'm sure we all know what that feels like when you feel absolute, like, and I've been in situations where I've tried to speak to administrators when something is not working for me in a rehearsal room where I don't feel heard in a rehearsal room and administrators have not listened to me. They've no. been nice. Yeah. And say, we hear you and we support you and then nothing has changed and my work environment actually got worse yes. because of those and because of that I've told and I feel very fortunate that I have an agent I feel what I've done is I've surrounded myself with people who believe me when I tell them something's wrong the majority of these people are all women <laughs> I've surrounded myself with extremely strong women who believe me when I tell them something is not making it comfortable for me to work, who will listen, who will not tell me I'm being crazy, yeah. who will engage with me critically and ask me, have I thought about all the possibilities? And if I tell them that I have, they will go, right, it's done. We're dealing with it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And so I'm very grateful that when those moments have happened with administrations or with conductors or with directors where things haven't worked out and I've used my voice as respectfully and as kindly as I can to try and, you know, establish my boundaries and people have continued to step over them. I've been able to go to my agents and say, with all due respect, I don't ever want to work with that person again. Yeah. I, I'm all, I'm, I know for a fact, I don't need to be changing people. I'm not out here to be like changing people's life views if they don't want them changed. Right. I'm not going to fight you to change your point of view. I'm going to respect your boundaries and I'm, but I'm also going to tell you my perspective. And if you don't want to hear it, that's your business. I'm not going to fight with you about it because it's not going to help me. It's only going to make, it's only going to frustrate you and make me angry. And at the end of the day, I have to deal with my own mental health. Right. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I feel like younger generations, the ones behind me, are more vocal about this. Um, it's because I grew up where, you know, we were seen and not heard and especially females. And, um, and it was, it's a, it, I mean, I, even in situations in the last couple of years, you know, I would go <gasps> to say something back and I was told by older generations, like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. You know what I mean? Like they'll, yeah. they'll ban you. They won't hire you. They won't. And I, and there's, there's moments where I w really wish I had because maybe something could have changed. I don't know what, what, I don't know, but I'm just really grateful for you and for other younger singers that um, are brave enough to say um, what needs to be said, because that's part of the business that, that hopefully is changing and change. yeah, it needs to change. It'll so. be interesting when we get back into theaters doing, oops, sorry, fully staged yeah. productions to see how the opera world has changed 
in the rest I'm, of the I'm excited about that. I think there's so many, especially like all, like even younger than me are like so fully aware of, of the, their power within the industry yeah. that I, that I'm so fascinated by. But you know, I remembered when I like spoke out and I said, I, I don't want to be associated with, I don't want to work with this person ever again. It's meant that I've not got contracts from certain places, right. but like I said, I don't hinge my success on where I sing. Right. I hinge my success on the health of my san- like the health of my actual mental sanity and my and my ability to clothe myself, feed myself, and put myself put a roof over my head. And to be That's true my, to yourself. And to be true yeah. to myself. Because at the end of the day, if we're all just stepping up on there, you know, as like singing machines with no in, no no, you know, human integrity we're not we're not going to be reaching people because like you said sandra at the beginning you know what makes an opera singer do you consider yourself an opera singer and you were like move people like really get people in like at the core of who they are and like shift them just a little bit shift the needle of their souls a tiny bit to be able to do that it means that you need to have integrity because you can't do those kinds of things without integrity. Mm-hmm. I think we look at someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's a woman. That's a woman that had so much integrity. Yeah. You can look at that life as an example. God bless that angel. She's finally gone home. Mm-hmm. And the thing is that, like, what we have to do as a society of women in this industry, especially in our industry, which is so, so far behind all other industries, I find. Oh like, my I, gosh. I sometimes think to myself, like, some theaters. Some theaters in Europe don't even necessarily have like sexual harassment, like rules and regulations, like that are written into their bylaws. Like those, like that's what we're dealing with. Like you go to America and like sexual harassment, you can't like step into a rehearsal room until you've like finished a sexual harassment course, you know, like you've got to prove that like you've done the time and you've learned the lesson. No, but I've been in Europe where they've made fun of that, where they're like, oh, sorry, can I touch you? Can I touch you to move you? And I'm just like, Listen, I really appreciate that you ask me before you grab me and move me all over. I mean, I'm used to it because I grew up in that where you could yeah. really do whatever you wanted to and there were no repercussions for it. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, I said, well, I appreciate that you asked me, but no, I'm okay. You know what I mean? And I, but I don't think it's funny. I mean, I don't think that- I don't think you know, it's funny. I don't think it's cute. It's not, it's not, you know, people don't realize some of the things that we suffer under. Like, yes, it's so great. You're singing on stage and like, oh, you get to like play pretend and play love pretend with people. But if like some stranger who you just met like two days ago sticks his tongue down your throat while you're supposed to be like doing some like love scene on stage i don't want that i did not sign up for that part of the job or or walking into your dressing room like when they know the minute that you're just putting on your costume or you're putting on your robe or i had one conductor know exactly when i was going to and walked right in and every performance, and Duncan's always there. And Duncan's oh. like, oh, hi, Maestro. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, he- but what I'm trying to say is like, our industry is so far behind. Like, and like, there's no, there's so much like self-advocating that has to happen. Right. Like, even like, even for like diversity in like rehearsal, like even like, you know, racial diversity, there's so much stuff when there's like microaggressions of racism, like knowing that like theater, you have to consistently advocate for yourself. Then like the, the whole system is kind of rigged that like the victims always advocating themselves, but that's just like a whole like societal situation that I'm like, that will just like take me off on a tangent somewhere else, you know? But what all I'm trying to say is that what I've found is like, I think it's important for us to 
one, we have to get okay with advocating for ourselves, but also finding a way to do it with respect and with kindness. But also, I, I refuse to sacrifice my boundaries for nicety. Right. To keep everything, to keep the boat floating nicely. Like, no, I'm so sorry. It doesn't, it doesn't serve me. And then I'm just like a horrible shell of a performer. I've, I've been in those moments. I remember doing those kinds of things because those are the things that were suggested of me by older colleagues in the business, which is like, suck it up. This is part of the business. Like, yeah. you Be know, like, yourself. and you just go, and I remembered like, you know, taking the advice and really not feeling great about myself afterwards. And I'm sure that's the way that you felt, Carrie. Like you took the yeah. advice because you're like, well, they've been here longer. They must know more. And you're like, but why do I feel like trash? So why, yeah. Why didn't somebody speak up and say something, especially when you're watching something happen in a rehearsal room where someone's being bullied or somebody, whatever it is, and you're not allowed to say, you know, you go to, to bat and you're told, don't, 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 don't say anything. You know what I mean? I've been yanked in because I, they were like, why did you say that? And I was like, well, because it was wrong. I mean, it was, to be said. why mm -hmm. isn't anybody else? Or, you know, you, and then you never knew. I mean, I grew up in a, where I knew what my line was as far as whether I was going to sleep with people or not, you know, to whatever. And, um, because we're all on the road, it's a whole different thing. And I knew what my line was, but I never knew if my line made a difference of whether or not I got a job or not. Does that make sense? Like it Absolutely. was, I never, I never knew, but it, but I knew when, with all of what I had to deal with growing up in the business, I knew that whatever the decision was, I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror and be, and like that girl. And I wanted to put my head on the pillow at night and be able to sleep without, yeah. does that make sense? Like that, even though I knew I had to play and manipulate and maneuver and all this kind of stuff, and sometimes I was lucky I was married so young because I grabbed him in there when he traveled with me because that was a barrier. I was able to use that. Um, mm -hmm. But I, those were my lines. And they've changed as I've gotten older because now I know we can be more vocal. I mean, the good and the bad and the ugly of the Me Too movement also changed a lot for our business and opened up the doors to be able to say no, to be able to say I'm uncomfortable, to be able to say. And I love that. So it's really kind of fun now to talk to some younger singers coming up and they're like, what? You had to I deal with that. what? Like that <laughs> happened for real? And I'm like, yes, but I'm so glad that they say that because that's not happening anymore. It's sad, yeah. it's sad that we had to think about that, that we had to take all that brain capacity when we should have just been making art. Exactly. You. Like you, Thank like you, I remember, like I remembered one, like one of my male colleagues, like he's a conductor. God bless him. And he's a lovely human being, happily married. But he, he said the most ridiculous thing when this whole Me Too thing was happening. It's like, well, like now I just don't know if I can actually be friends with like women. Like you can't even compliment them. You're constantly having to think about like what you say. And I said, welcome to our lines of constantly having to navigate male expectation. <laughs> I love you, Golda. <laughs> love you too. You are having like 30 seconds of what we've had to is like live with all our lives, you know? And people like, like, I remember when I was, when, you know, I'm a 37 year old woman, ha ha ha. And I'm singing like roles like That's Sophie, you know, I'm singing like Sophie, who's like constantly like being, and people, people constantly ask me like, well, how do you like find the energy to be this young woman? And I was like, really? I'm not really thinking about her age. I'm just thinking about the fact that she's, in a, she's a woman in a room full of men who are just ogling her and she has to find a way not to get raped. For real. <laughs> For real, right? That is yes. the life goal. <laughs> yes. And, like, and 
then you like people ask you like well how do you identify with a character like Susanna or the countess and you're like um I'm a woman uh I, I really no, don't not. understand I don't understand the question where should I begin where do I start with that? Being Susanna, I mean, like every man in the house, every man, like, you know, if you take it as a grand cosmos of humanity, like every man in the, in the country thinks that he has his rights to you, you know, and then being the countess, like dealing with like women who feel invisible to society, the invisibility of like age, aging out of society and aging out of attractiveness and just like, right. And like, and this like weird battle that's built up in society of women against women, when in actual fact, we're suffering from the same problem of uh, patriarchal male gaze, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, okay, I have one question for you. I know like we've kept you long enough. Do you have time for one more question? No, that's, I've got time for all the questions in the world. This is such a fun conversation. I oh, I love it. Um, I listen, because I don't know you, I, I tried to read and listen to your interviews and all that just so I could, you know, try to see if I could find out who you are or what are a piece of you, colors of you. And um, so I listened to the podcast from, I think it's musicians, was it Notes from a Musician's Kitchen? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I really love that. I love what she's doing. I'm like, oh, I want to know this girl. Like, I just thought it was really cool, her whole platform and all that kind of stuff. So shout out to that podcast. If you don't know. Jane Johnson is amazing. Yeah. She should, everybody should know about Jane Johnson. They, they amazing yeah, they really should. Okay, right now. So shout out to her and what, she, and um, her uh, journey of raising money and stuff like that for the artists there. Um, but there was a part of the conversation where you talked about per diem and you talked about um, acting in good faith, and this is part of what I am hoping is coming out of COVID and for our art form. And um, I don't know if you remember that part of the conversation, but I'd, I'd love to um, have that conversation on this platform because I think, sure. it's really, I think it's really important. Yeah, I feel like you might need to like nudge me again to remind me, but like what, what, I, what I find really fundamental about this whole situation that's becoming very clear is that in our contract, what we need to be asking people to do is that we need to be compensated for all the expenses that we occur before things even take place. Like we know what we're paying for. You're paying for flight tickets. You're paying for, and like, and yes, some theaters will say, we'll help you pay for flight tickets. But let's be frank, they're always looking for the cheapest ticket available instead of just reimbursing you the flight that you took. Right. Because sometimes if you're flying from gig to gig, you, can't, you don't have the luxury. And like, let's be frank, rehearse, like theaters are constantly saying, oh, we can't be, we have to be hard and fast with the start date of rehearsal. Um, so you have to be here on this day. And like, God forbid you're, you have a gig that's happening like 24 hours before it happens. That means like you can't even like really reset your body, your body, your body clock so that you can like get into the next place because you've just got to get on the next plane. Right. But then a theater will say, oh, but we're not going to pay for that super expensive ticket that you bought. Um, we're, we're just going to pay you like the cheapest version. Like, right. you know, the ticket that would have been like two weeks price, the two right. week ago price. Um, so those kinds of things, like there's this, there's somehow, and I know that these are the lawyers trying to make sure that everybody, and that these are the accounts departments trying to make sure that everybody's, you know, the books are staying balanced. I understand that there's another side to this conversation. But what I also recognize is that if we, at the core of our business, which I think kind of brings me back to like the beginning where we we're talking about like where we were talking about trajectories and how the business functions. Like when we're constantly consumed with the idea of consumption versus input, output versus input, and like all of like what are our outgoings, like, oh, we need to make sure that our incomings are much bigger, or we need to, if our incomings aren't, aren't big enough, we've got to restrict our outgoings. What we start to lose is what is at the core of a creative process. 
And at the core of any truly creative endeavor, which has to be collaborative, the true core of a collaborative creative endeavor is trust. Yeah. You got to trust me that I'm going to do my job and come in and I'm doing it at the highest level possible. But I've also got to trust that you have my best interest at heart as well. And when I'm looking at contract negotiations, there's this lack of trust, which might be because of legal systems that we function in where it's just like protect the self, protect the self. But there has to be a little more give and take. So the things like force majeure and like things like COVID and all of these like unexpected pandemics can't just go into the, the land and the realm of force majeure and then boom, so sorry. It wasn't, no, it wasn't our fault, but I'm just like, it wasn't my fault either. So why am I the one who's suffering? Yeah. Like if it was nobody's fault, then we should equally impa- be impacted. Not it was nobody's fault, but like good luck to you. Good luck on your side of the fence. But, but you still need my services eventually. If things should get better, you'll still need my services. And when, when, and when, we, start, when we start thinking of all of these things in the totality of how they function, you know, all these places that pulled the force majeure card, they've told musicians, they've told the people who they've, they've spent years building relationships with, your loyalty and your our relationship that we've cultivated for years means nothing to me and i don't care about sustaining it yeah when you tell people that when we go back to work with some of these places exactly and then it fundamentally changes the level of trust within the working relationship so all i ask for is that when people are renegotiating and restructuring themselves think about the relationship between you and the artist. And it's not a perfunctory relationship. You can't tell somebody, oh, you're in our artistic family, but then you don't treat me like family when dark days come. You treat me like I'm a, you treat me like I'm a street dog and you kick me out. Yeah. That's not fair. That's not right. That's disregarding all the things that you told someone. And the problem is, is that that's a lot of what's happening in this industry. And I understand Please, let's not get it twisted. I think we're all smart enough to understand, like, yes, there are financial restraints to them being able to do this. Right. But, but there is something to be said in coming to your artist and saying, can you and can we negotiate a way where you feel comfortable and we feel comfortable and no one feels misused? If we say to you, we cannot pay you the full fee. But what we can do is help you cover some of the expenses already incurred. So if you've already booked your flight ticket and we know that some flight companies are already giving people, had, had already been giving people so many hassles about reclaiming money for flights. Mm-hmm. How about we reimburse you that flight ticket? Even that would have been something. But it I know so communication, Golda. Exactly. Not and it requires people taking a beat to not just think of the self, but to think ahead. And yeah. that's where I think there's so much, there's so much of this time that's been that could that could have been used to go to actually do some self-reflection and say, our system does not function. Let's try and redo this. I'm not asking for theaters to like you know, give me housing now every time that I come there. I'm not asking you to like book me on the most expensive flight. I'm asking you to realize that I incur expenses. Speaking as an African, I have now asked for places for my agents to make sure that anyone who hires me where I have to get a visa for that gig 
And if something like this happens, a lockdown happens, and I've already incurred the expenses of paying for visas, paying for train tickets to go to visa centers and get my biometrics captured, paying for the, all the extra expenses that get incurred with getting visas, because let's be frank, there are, there are expenses that get incurred just getting a visa. Like, yeah. And that's before, you even buy the t- that's before you even buy your flight ticket, before you even book your accommodation. <laughs> right. Like, just like getting a stupid and piece of paper time. and you're stuck in your... And there's time involved in that. It's the commitment to go get these visas and wait in line. And, and just wait in line and just like have some like administrative like blah blah tell you i'm sorry you do what yeah <laughs> oh, or i'm sorry that photo that you just that you you took for us and that you spent that all doesn't that time work that doesn't it work doesn't we need work. to do one it's the Go wrong to the, size exactly you're smiling and, you're and going, you, you right. shouldn't be doing that and you're wearing a hat you shouldn't be doing that your hair doesn't fit and for me your hair doesn't fit in the photo so you're gonna have to do something with it that's my problem all the time too <laughs> so i told my agents i was like i need in all my contracts, regardless of force measure, I don't care if people don't pay me my fees back, but they will pay me back those expense, those extra costs that I incur if the contract gets canceled, where it's nobody's fault. Right. Because I've still incurred the expense. You've lost nothing, my dear friend. You've no. lost potential income from like audience, but I've already lost and I haven't even like stepped on the stage. And that's where it's so frustrating to like yeah. listen to like the story. Because like I remember those first few weeks of lockdown. And like every time I went online, I saw my friend's posts and it was like like one friend said, I the last my next three months of work's been cancelled. And that means that I now have three weeks to move out of my apartment because I will not be able to pay my rent. Hearing those kinds of stories and then knowing to yourself, knowing that like there are theaters and there are people that are not trying to see beyond a book where a, a number stands. No. And I get it. This number stands between you and closing. Don't think I don't understand. But then you look at someone like Jane Johnston and like people like her who set up ways and funds to help and support people. I don't think that there was something, there's a way, I think that there's a medium where that kind of, these kinds of models can exist and co and coincide with each other and support mm-hmm. each other. So that's what I mean. And I like, and some theaters, like when, when you mentioned per diem, there are some theaters that don't even pay per diem anymore. Like you're just like, like I know one of my friends, was in rehearsals for a show in a theater that didn't pay per diem. And like just before the show opened, they did the lockdown. Yeah. He was out five weeks worth of money. Yeah. And yeah. didn't get a fee. Nope. Like what? And then yeah. you got to like. With housing, it's in expensive cities where sometimes housing is 5,000 a month to rent an apartment or an Airbnb. Yeah. That's not a shithole. You know what I mean? That's not like in the basement with mold. So yeah. yeah, it's insane. It was insane. It's really insane. And like, also, I think to myself, you know, so many theaters have so many donors and you just think to yourself, like, seriously, none of these donors have like an extra room somewhere or like, a, like <laughs> know, know a guy who knows a guy who could like work at a estate who could just be like, here's a rental that we have. Nobody's using it. Yeah. You know, there's all these like systems in place that I think to myself, there's ways around this that don't require like that don't require you to really lose it just requires you to think more creatively and I think like so many so many people in the other, on the other side of the conversation and I hate saying this like the their side and the non-artistic side and the artistic side da, 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 da. like mm. I hate that idea that it's that it needs to be confrontational but I feel like exactly what you said 
Sandra, they need some more conversation. Like people talk to each other. Come on. To us. Like it's not I'm it's human nature. It's just, human, like really, it's not difficult. And I'm not gonna be, I don't think any of us are gonna be those people that are just gonna be like, yeah, this is all your fault. This is happening. Nah, 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 nah. Like, no, we're we're used, we're so used to being collaborative people. I think artists are the most collaborative people in the world. Like, <laughs> we'll come up with a creative solution. Like, you know, you've been in a rehearsal where a director's like, I need you to be facing away from the audience while singing the really softest line in the world. I need you or like I need you to sing with all the emotion in the world but not show anything of the strain that is required from singing in your face and you go okay I'm gonna need like 30 minutes to figure that out yep (laughs) (laughs) or if you're Sandra you're like peace out I'm not doing this (laughs) (laughs) you are I have so enjoyed this conversation and I want to have another one with you if you're game and I feel fine with having conversations. I think it's so fun to talk to you guys. It's so fun to talk to one of our screaming divas. I know. Come on. Um, and it's going to be so fun to watch your career and watch what you do in this business because I think, um, I don't know, I have a feeling it'll be more than just singing. So I'm, uh, I, My dream. I'm My excited. Dream. You would be a great to be an intendant. And dream to run an opera house, actually. I, you know, I could see that, and and uh, I would support that 100%. So I'll pay you guys to you. <laughs> Can we ask you a few rapid-fire questions, Golden? Okay, wait. So sure. They're going to be fast. Chug. Yes. I love okay. What's your favorite sound? <laughs> okay. What's your favorite curse word in any language? Oh, my fuck, Maralise. South Africans. Is yeah. that Afrikaans? Afrikaans, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I know what that means? What does that mean? Um, so actually, there's like a whole story about it. It's Achfok means oh, oh fuck. Um, but the Maralise is actually someone's name. Um, and the thing is, there's this viral video that went around in South Africa of this girl who was like a 17-year-old girl trying to ride, learn to ride a bike. And she was like riding her bike. And instead of like turning her bike to like miss a, a rugby pole that was really there's so much space around it she went straight into it and her mom was filming her doing this and all you heard was um, before the, the camera cuts out is her mother going oh my fuck my release <laughs> okay guilty pleasure <laughs> that was awesome what's your guilty pleasure ding, 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 it winds but i don't think that's a guilty pleasure i think honestly my guilty my truest guilty pleasure is probably like watching way too much tv really like way too much i know too many movie titles too many tv shows i like i love tv TV. okay i'm gonna ask you a really hokey question but what's the greatest gift that we can give one another oh i think the greatest gift you can ever give somebody is just kindness 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 and kindness implying that there's empathy involved in it and because like being kind to someone, like I, like I say, I stress this all the time. Nice is not the same as kind. Because nice hides a lot. That does. But kindness requires you to engage with somebody and to really hear them, see them, and try to give them what they need. Or if you can't, help them find someone who can give them what they need. That's kindness. Amen. So for me, that's the greatest gift you can give anybody, just be kind. And mm-hmm. I guess, so to answer your, your first question, what's my favorite sound? It's probably people laughing. I love hearing people laugh. Me too. 
That's my favorite. I love it. I love it if I make people laugh. I love it if I'm with people and we're laughing. That just makes me like, and if there's music playing while people are laughing, that just makes me feel at home. Because that's like the, my favorite memory of my family. Like it's us laughing loudly and loud music playing. <laughs> no film motivational song. Oh, okay. This is really fun. It's like, uh, it's Eminem, uh, Lose Yourself from the Eight Mile soundtrack. Like literally, like actually like any hip hop. Like if I can't like do anything, I will like start playing hip hop like loudly in my dressing room with my, my, my portable speaker and my, my people who dress me and who do my makeup, they're just like, oh, it's one of those days. Gotta get rid of it. <laughs> I've heard it. I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, along too. Sandra, Sandra's been. Sandra's heard it. Like sometimes it can be like super angry, angry, and sometimes it can be like really like just like chilled hip hop. But like yeah. I'll be like Randy and seeing. There'll be Eminem playing. There'll nice. Be some tea, I love like it. yeah, like every, love it. everybody. Yeah, it's in there. <laughs> That's so cool. Last one. Last Last one? one? Okay, yeah. Um, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? Oh, you're home. Aww. That's the best. I think that's exactly what heaven is. And I do believe in heaven. So yeah, I would love that. That's like the Lord opens the door and says, oh, you're home. Oh, you're home. Good to see you. <laughs> you made it. <laughs> we love talking with you. We can talk with you for hours and hours. You know that. So. And all the, there's no sweat under my armpits. Yes. Oh, I don't do that. Oh, I, I sweat every, in everything. I'm a sweater. Yeah, it's horrible. I'm not happening either because it's really cold here today. I'm so sorry. I know. Enjoy, oh, Figaro. Have a blast. Sing for all of us that can't. I love it so much. I'm sending you massive, all the, the good things, prayers, juju, everything your way. Have a great I show. I take it. I sing take your, it. Sing your face off, girl. Toy, toy, toy. Shall toy, do. Toy, toy. Love you. Thank you.